Welcome back to Beers and Careers, everybody. I'm your host, Mark Agostinelli. Beers and Careers, as always, is sponsored by the Davis Companies, www.davisco.com, davisco's.com, um, for all of your staffing needs. Today's guest was Teague Bean. Teague's a buddy. Uh, we have a lot of fun both off and on this podcast. Um, we did it on a Friday afternoon with a cocktail in hand. This is a tough podcast because Teague and I could probably talk for about 20 hours in a row. So trying to keep it to an hour was pretty difficult. Um, but I, he had a great story to tell from st- uh, starting his, uh, a new career right as the economy went into a recession in 2007, 2008, leaving, getting a job in Big Four, using a recruiter along the way, um, and, uh, and kind of how that all went from there, right? He had kind of the perfect dream job and chose to move in a different direction, uh, doing what's right for him. So we hit a lot of concepts. Uh, we had a great conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think this is a good one for folks um, who are either in a career change or recent college grads or high school grads thinking about what's next. So uh, hope you enjoy uh, well, hey, let's kick this up. Let's let it rip. Let's let it rip. This could be the coolest podcast, going. actually. You've got the wonderful uh, South Boston during a pandemic in the background, although we haven't used any of the video just yet for the podcast, but I think it's coming. And okay. birds chirping. I mean, it's so spring in New England. I love it. It's time for quarantine to end, man. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. And, and um. Well, dude, first off, thanks for coming on. Much thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a cool thing, and I love having people. It's fun having people that, I'm, uh, that I have a relationship with, too, because it makes me super easy. But tell, can you tell the audience, by the way, what you're drinking? We, we kind of hit it before we turn this thing on. Oh, right. Uh, I'll be enjoying a 20-year-old Kentucky bourbon, wow. memory of my uh, late grandmother who just passed, who's from Kentucky, 94 years young, non-COVID related. Non-COVID. Actually, some people are saying that it was COVID related because she couldn't do any of the things that kept her going because she was in lockdown. It's kind of a weird side of the coin you never look at. No, it's funny. Tina's got a, um, my wife has a 88-year-old grandmother and, uh, and you, and you know, mental health is certainly a challenge when you're locked inside, and you're used to seeing a lot of visitors and that type of stuff. And and her comment on the fa- on Facetime the other day was, "I at this point, I'd rather be going out and take the risk." I was like, "Wow, I mean, that's someone in the demographic that's mostly affected." So I'll leave it at that. But that was an, it was an interesting comment, nonetheless. Um, even though you're drinking a bourbon, uh, by the way. I've got a dirty martini, and I've had kettle one in the freezer this quarantine, and I've got some blue cheese stuffed olives here. Oh, that sounds delicious too. So that will be my uh, my warm up for the Friday afternoon here. Let me ask you a question: yeah. Do you know it's Friday when you wake up and it's Friday, or is there at some point need to be like a reminder, or you look at your calendar at work and you're like, oh, it's Friday today? Uh, I'm a weirdo, and I like. Uh, I have this practice. I actually have it right here. I like I like journal my thoughts at the end of the day, and then I plan every day, and I plan my workouts. So like I'm staying in the normal course for me. Okay, that sounds like a healthy way to yeah try to keep things normalized. It does feel like Groundhog Day a lot, but like 
I work. I wake up. I work out. I do my. I I go to work, and then usually at lunchtime or two o'clock, I'll sneak out, walk the dogs for an hour, come back. So like I'm I'm still. That's the my most depressing days are when it's raining. I'm like, oh my god. I mean, I'm out here on my deck right now just because it's. Well, it's actually it feels like it's like mid sixties right now. It's Rocking shorts. It's warm. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'll catch myself when like. Wednesday, Thursday time frame, and I'm like, I, I literally don't remember what day it is. Right, right. Yeah, I get, I get that. I totally get that. The other thing is, my wife works on Wednesday, so I know that I'm like on daddy daycare duty. Ah, okay, okay. So that's the other, that's the other pillar in it. But uh, get, let's, uh, if, before we dive into the meat of the matter, if you will, let, let's do a little fun, little rapid fire. Just, uh, I obviously know you, but I, I want. People get to know you, and uh, what's your favorite cocktail or drink libation? It have to be something tequila-based for sure. Can't okay. go wrong with a good margarita. Best margarita maker I know, Sally Bean. Okay. Not your mother. Love it. Yeah. Uh, probably like a mango margarita or a coconut. Okay. That's cool. But very specific about the type of tequila. It's got to be like a Casamigos or better. Mm-hmm. I dig that. I what dig about that. you? I'm a Milagro guy. Milagro guy. I like my Milagro tequila. Although I have Kirkland right now, the Costco tequila in my fridge. Um, I know. My brother gave be- it to me. I'm rolling with it. It's fine. That can't uh, be good the next day. No, terrible. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite curse word? Uh, golf. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the first time the answer really hasn't been fuck, and it's the best answer you can do. Uh, are you um, are you a quote guy? You got any favorite quotes? Yeah, I am a quote guy. Um, we actually have two quotes on our walls in our house that uh, you'd be hard-pressed not to go by it at least a few times each day. And... I'll share them both with you. One of them is uh, called The Man in the Arena. It's a quote by uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And the gist of it pretty much is it's it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback anyone. Mm. But to be the person that rolled your sleeves up and got in the dirt to try to do whatever you want to accomplish, whether you succeeded or you failed – you still tried and you did something. You were the man in the arena. Mm. And, and in my, if from my perspective, I'd much rather be the man in the arena than the guy criticizing him. She's a hundred out of a hundred times. Like I like that. That's a cool quote. I'm looking that one up. What's the other one in your house? Uh, the other one's a French quote. I don't, um, but it's pretty much about being in a relationship and, not looking at the past about what the times you guys had together, but looking forward to the future on the same sideline. Mm, cool. Yeah. I like that. And so the Teddy Roosevelt quote, the man in the arena, I think is something that, uh, and I'm sure we'll touch upon this, but throughout my career, that's something that, you know, when you're faced with adversities or failures, especially, I go back to that quote and that definitely makes me, feel better about any situation it's it i just pulled it up and i don't know if i've got the wrong version or the long version but it says it is it's not, long. <laughs> it is not it is not the critic who counts 
not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. I love that. That, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, that kicks ass. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end of triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Ooh. Yeah. The hair in the back of my neck just stood up. <laughs> I think we all, uh, that could be your dirty martini. I don't know. <laughs> Fair. But when you read that last line too, don't, doesn't like, don't a few faces of people you've come across in business and in life, especially sports yeah. too, don't they come to your mind? You're like, I know some timid, cold souls. I think sports too. It's funny. I, I, uh, I just recorded a podcast earlier this week with a, with a, uh, with a golf professional. Um, not a tour player, but a PGA guy who does okay. lessons. And we went off on a tangent. Adam Koloff, great dude. He owns Pure Drive Golf in Woburn. Check him out. Uh, shout out to Adam. Good dude. Um, phenomenal athlete, but we went on uh, a little bit on parents golfing. And um, and he says he gives lessons, and sometimes the parents are so, like, giving critiques. And he's like, they read a book once, and now they think they can be their golf coach. And it's like, you know, those timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. It's like, well, you, unless you've actually done it. Just, oh, oh. Are you hitting every ball straight, Dad? Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So yeah. I like that, dude. That's a sick quote. That one's. Uh, I'm a quote guy. That's a keeper. That's a keeper. yeah. I think I sent that um, when I left uh, Observe It, which is a cybersecurity startup, and I think they got bought like a few weeks after. I sent that to the uh, CEO, Mike McKee. Oh, cool. Very cool. Do you? Yeah, real quick. So I, the reason why I thought we should really hold on, hold on. I think it, uh, and I think it actually got hung up in the men's bathroom. That's so good. That is so good. This quote's really good, but we're only going to show a few people standing while they're pissing at a urinal. Uh, and he sent me a picture of it too. He's like, "Hey, I got this hung up." I'm like, is that the a urinal? <laughs> I, I guess, I, I guess. Thank you. I guess. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, you um. Can you share with people like the Reader's Digest version of what happened like from you from a career perspective, maybe post-college? Because one of the things um, that I thought stood out to me as to why I wanted to talk to you was um, there's a lot of folks. I think this podcast is going to be listened to by a lot of high school kids and by a lot of college kids um, or people just making career transitions. And I think there's a lot of outside pressure uh, in, in things to do. And you went out and you got a job at a big four accounting firm, um, which I'm going to guess there's a lot of parents that want their children to, to follow a similar career path. And then you had a pretty sought after job and chose to move on. So if you don't mind, I mean, we'll dive into the details, but do you mind just taking us from like graduation to today in, in the, uh, in the, in the short form? Yeah, totally. And I can, uh, I'll back up. I'll go back to, I think it was sophomore year in college at Bryant university down in Rhode Island. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I yeah. liked numbers. I liked problem solving. I was good with people. Um, my dad had a background where he'd been in pharmaceutical sales for over 20 years. 
and I wanted to do something different. And I think I took like three or four different types of tests. Yeah. Career Services Center. I don't know if you or anyone remembers those. And that's like multiple choice stuff. And every test came back middle of the road. It was like you'd be good in these three, these three industries or majors equally. There was no like outlier at all. And I was, at the time, accounting, you, it was the you made the second most money out of college. I think actuarial majors were number one. And I f- did some research, found that that was there was a lot of stability there. I went to networking events and talked to alums that really ingrained in me, and I, st- I still believe it to this day, that accounting is the foundation for any business. You know, I call the accounting department the, ner- the central nervous system for any company. Right. You know, it's, it's vital. Of course, it's vital. It's not sexy at right. all, and you don't really ever see it on the exterior. Correct. Um, unless, unless it goes wrong, unfortunately. Yeah, then you're dead and your body's decomposing, and it's, yeah. it's not good for you. Yeah, that's not a good thing when accounting is uh, the focal point of any company. Right. In the news. So, uh, I think it was October of senior year. I already had a job locked up with Feely and Driscoll, and I think back then too, was it? My starting salary was like sixty thousand dollars or something, and I had like a five k signing bonus. And at the time, like that's that, was, that, that was incredible. And, uh, or maybe it was 55,000. I don't know, but I thought I had it made at the time. This is 07. Okay. So I remember going in the first year and this is a smaller regional firm. Feely and Driscoll later gets bought out by BDO, which is a larger regional firm now, national firm. And, um, after a year, I was like, wow, this is pretty easy. Like everyone teaches you kind of what to do. You just got to be a good people person. Um, but what I couldn't get over was the fact that you would go into these customers, these guys who are paying you tens of thousands of dollars and you'd find some things wrong. And you'd look at last year's notes and they've been doing it wrong for like a decade. They didn't really care. They just did the audit because they had to check a box for a bank loan or what have you. I'll never forget that the first year of telling a client like, Hey, this is, you're doing this wrong, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, we don't care. Wow. Like, okay, all right. I guess everything isn't as black and white as it was supposed to be in those those textbooks in college, right? Uh, Flash forward a year later, uh, had my first raise. I'll never forget this. It was a 22.5% raise. So at the time, I'm like, this is the golden path. I'm going to stay here. I'll drink the Kool-Aid. I'll become a partner. Like, I'm going to be making a million bucks in 10 years at this rate. Right. Uh, then comes, uh, the financial collapse of 2008. Yes. And it was like instantly you got to see one end of the spectrum, like the good side, everyone's getting the raises. And a few months later, you start to see the layoffs happen. I think it was like, there were four rounds of layoffs that I made it through and you knew they were going to call you into this one room, the Hereford room. And they would like announce your name over the loudspeaker and, and like, and everyone hears it. It was horrible. That is, <laughs> that is wild. Um, and I remember going in and at the time it was like, you did, some people had their CPA, some people didn't. I did not at the time. And I'll never forget one of my buddies, uh, Nick Veltri got let go. He's doing well now. So I don't feel like it's a disservice to mention his name. He had a CPA and he got let go before me. And I was just like, me and my buddies at the time were like, well, uh, 
there's, there's no rhyme or reason anymore. Okay. Like okay. things were getting bad at that time too. Um, so I ended up getting let go and I ended up going to Europe for a month. And, and at the time, you know, you're, I think I had like half the CPA done. And with the CPA, I don't know how it works now, but you had like 16 months or 18 months to pass all four sections. Because once you pass one, the clock runs. And if 16 months runs out, you don't pass the other ones, you lose credit for that section you just passed. Mm. It's torturous. Um, I actually came back and wasn't wasn't interested in finding work in an accounting firm. I I was actually working in your hometown, Hopkinton, um, a family, a close family friend. He was a recently retired CFO of uh, Sepracor. Yeah. They filled that sleep drug Lunesta. Yes. This guy made boatloads of money. I think he made like $19 million in one year alone on stock. He bought a house and was demoing it and redoing it, gutting it, and asked if I wanted to help. I was like, yeah, this is the complete opposite of what I've been doing, and <laughs> why not? Like, um, And I did that, and it's. I think it's always been easier to find out what you don't want to do in life rather than what you do want to do. It's almost yeah. like a process of elimination. Yes. And wouldn't you know it, like a recruiter out of the blue, the house is a week away from us being done and going on the market and a Deloitte internal recruiter and call, calls me up. I think it was like two weeks later, I had an interview and a week after that, I had the job. And so I was back wow. in public accounting. <laughs> uh, I had passed another section of my CPA and was sitting for the next one the next month. Eventually passed it. Um, but the crazy part, the big switch from going to, I think there was 107 people at Feely and Driscoll uh, when I started there before the layoffs happened. And at Deloitte, Deloitte's a national firm. I mean, they yeah. have, yeah, they're international. They have offices in India that help you do your expense reports. Oh, yeah. I, when I was living in Australia, one of the people I met um, when I was doing odd jobs, like labor jobs, was like a VP at the local Deloitte office in Adelaide, Australia. And she's like, oh, if you want to get into public accounting to get back, I'll help you out. I was like, <laughs> like I'm playing pavers, lady. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget this, too. I, you may want to edit this out. I, that's fine. But, uh, we don't edit it. We remember, and so for Mass, if you want to get your CPA, and I still think it's this way, you got to have at least 150 credits. Would you graduate college typically with 120? I think at Brian, I graduated with 125. And you have to take certain ethics classes and stuff. And most people just go get their MSA and pay Northeastern like 20, 30K for it. I opted to um, actually go to online school. And it was Keller Graduate School of Management. They owned the best team. This is where where the story goes. I'll never forget being in front of the partner at Deloitte. It was the last interview. He goes, well, I mean, you've been to Kellogg Business School. Like, what else do we have to talk about? And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, so you're a partner, and you're paid to like for your attention to detail, and you've misread my resume so bad that you think I went to the Northwestern's business school. Yeah, their math like program. I just said that. Yeah. And I just sat there, and I was like, you know, Matt Masters, it was a really good decision. Didn't lie, just didn't correct him, because I thought that would be inappropriate and probably stupid on my part. But uh, rolled with That's it. That is awesome. I haven't told too many people that. That's a phenomenal. That is a phenomenal story. So yeah. then you're at Deloitte, right? 
Which yeah, is a pretty sick, which is a pretty sick company. Yeah, uh, I mean, right off the bat, you noticed a different level of um, pedigree. Yeah. Not that Feely was bad at all. I wouldn't badmouth them. Like, it was a great foundation. But there were uh, people from much larger schools. You and I come from smaller schools where you right. used to the smaller environments like the Feely and Driscoll. When you went to a Deloitte in an office that had thousands of people in it, I think they had like seven floors or something. Right. Um, it was overwhelming because you would go into a job – and you would have people under you that honestly had more training on the Deloitte way of doing things than I did because I had a crash course that lasted a week and a half at yeah. their office. You know what I mean? Um, what was really apparent uh, through the learning process at Deloitte, because I, I was just on startup clients at Deloitte and like hospitals and a few pensions or uh, 401ks. It was, uh, I, I did not like the Kool-Aid, the taste of the Kool-Aid there. It was, you had to buy in 110%, 12-hour days were a minimum, uh, and you don't get paid for overtime, and you don't complain. No bitching and moaning if you want to be on the good clients and put on the good teams. If you complain you or ask questions, you just get put on the shitty clients and the bad teams that no one wants to be of, and they just they churn you out. That's their whole business model. So those kids who are in college or high school and they want to go into public accounting, it is 100% a great decision to do that. There's no way I'd be where I am now, which we'll get to later, I'm sure, without the experiences that I had in the past. Right. However, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of layers that aren't discussed by professors or the partners when they come and they tout the big names like PwC had uh, their whole pipeline from Bryant. Uh, I think a lot of my classmates went there and I believe only two of them are left out of like 30 something that went there. Right. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it's just not for everyone. And a lot of it's luck of the draw too. What, like who your mentor is, do they really care about your well-being and stuff like that? And those big, those big companies are for the most part playing the numbers game. It's, 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 you know, they're expecting to hire 15 to 20 people and keep two or three. They they have the luxury to financially do that. Whereas, you know, feeling just go even Davis, right? Where, where I work, it's, we, we invest, it's too big of an investment when we bring someone on to try to, 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 you know, to be okay or laissez faire with them failing. Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, like I learned that I liked a smaller, more family and oriented environment and it kept, got to a point at Deloitte where we were going into our busy season and busy season is typically from January to April and it sucks. You don't, you don't, if you're, uh, um, you don't you don't have to go down for like three or four years. I lose you. You still there? I don't know. I was just waiting. Oh, you're good. Cool. Uh, so I was going into the third busy season at Deloitte and they're like, well, we can put you on a, um, Hot it down in New Jersey or something else in New Hampshire, and I'm living in Boston. Like, I don't want to do either of those things. That sounds horrible. Right. And it was later that day I had a meeting with a recruiter. It's the first time I ever like met with a recruiter, an external recruiter, and he was a Deloitte alum, Doug Morrison. Won't forget him. 
and he can pretty much convince me to leave. Wow. I think, I think it was like 24, 25 at that time. Those fucking recruiters, man. They're good. They're good. So I went to a, a FP&A position at a really small startup called Rome Data. And that was right in the uh, Fort Point area of Seaport, which back then there wasn't a lot going on. No. Um, but I'll never forget leaving and not ever thinking twice about leaving because I just knew at the time that path had ended for me. There was nothing there that I wanted anymore. But it was mainly, but it was mainly a. Um... It was kind of back to your point on the process of elimination. Like Deloitte looked beautiful from the outside. And actually when you got in there, there was nothing inherently wrong with it. It was just the wrong cultural fit for you. You got in oh, there and you, were, totally. and you were like, I shouldn't be doing this. Kind of like the, I mean, to your point, uh, you know, when you said the process of elimination thing, man, I've said, I've thought of something similar in my head so many times, but I've never quite verbalized it that way. It's like, you can't eat. Because even the stuff that's really good about your job, like I, don't, you know, I know you're in, a, you're newish into your new career, but I've been at Davis for ten years, and like there are days that are fucking terrible, right? And so it's like, it's not like it's not like when people are like, oh, you just gotta follow your passion. It's like, oh, that is like not the best advice. <laughs> uh, follow your passion is really tough. Because um, yeah, I, I think I, when I, you're in your young twenty, like you're, yeah, like. In your early, how many met that have this uh, this laser like focus on what they actually want to build a career on, and they're passionate about it when they're in their early twenties? Like, I don't know, I met like three. <laughs> right, and they and they all tend to have really uh, strong product development backgrounds. It's like the people that know they want to build something specific, you know? Yeah, they and they pretty much act like they're thirty year olds. They're not. True. I, yeah, but uh, going back to Deloitte, like I'm not bad mouthing them at all. Like I got my CPA while I was there. They paid me a nice bonus. They paid me well. Um, Great experience on a resume too. It's a huge. Going back to those kids in college and high school, amazing resume builder. Just like having those three letters at the end of your name. No one may know what the hell that, that entails, but they see it and it garners respect. And yeah. you get to a different. Uh, it, it comes with a new. It, it comes with a pedigree. Like when I'm looking to hire someone that's even going to be like a senior accountant, like I, I they got to come from Big Four or something comparable because I'm not interested in anyone otherwise because I don't want to reteach you the way to do a reconciliation. It's I think that, I think in your world that's one of the biggest things is it's a uh, it's almost like a professional sports league and you're hiring a battle tested uh, minor leaguer who's proven it over time. You know, it's like there is no, you're not taking a chance on the high school grad who's jumping, who's not going to college and going right to the pros. Yeah. You know? Like what's the, what's the upside? <laughs> well, I mean, the upside's there, but the downside is, is, is just huge. There's so many things that can go wrong. So yeah, that makes sense. And I think it, That's interesting. Yeah. And I think accounting is one of those fields too, uh, where there isn't a lot of like, back and forth yeah i think a lot of people who go down that route who are strictly accountants um they like to have blinders on they like to just plow through work all day you know right. um part of the reason i left was because i was i knew i wasn't like that i had to have 
social interaction. I had to, I found myself like being very well received in front of a client, but then you go back into a room for the remainder of the day and you just crunch numbers. And I looked at it and I was like, I, why, there's gotta be something else I can do with my brain as far as numbers. And what sold me on going to Rome data at the time was that you were then part of a company. You weren't a number, you're part of a company and operationally speaking, you had a hand in that strategy. So for me, it was like, okay, well, now I'm on the other side of that table where before in my first year, I was advising the client like, hey, this is how you want to do things. Now it's me. I'm there and I'm telling people this is how we're doing things. Right. Right. You know, and this is why it's going to improve our company. And to facilitate those changes and then see what you um, and most of the time, it's not a monetary return. It, it A lot of the time, it just saves people time, which right. indirectly money. But there's a lot of rewarding things that come from that because you are, in a way, uh, you know, teaching, coaching other people the right way to do things and why. And that continues to this day. And I'm still coached to this day on what the right way to do things are. Um, do you have your MBA? No. You have a I didn't go to Kellogg. <laughs> right, I know, I know. I, I didn't know if you ever went back. I didn't know if you ever went back. Uh, I think I um I have a hundred and something some hundred and seventy something credits because I started a double major, finance and accounting. But uh, I think Deloitte had like eighteen thousand dollars you could use, and I used all the money and. It ran out, and I was like, "Well, screw it. I got my CPA. Why do I need to keep doing this?" Right. Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I, it's it's a real uh, it's a real challenge for me because I would hate to advise. I mean, there's certain professions where I think getting your master's is important. Both of my parents have their masters, and I think uh, for the wow. longest time they were like, "When are you going to get your masters?" kind of thing. And I was like, "Oh, I kind of lied and was like, I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it," and then. Uh, I finally proved to them that like this thing wasn't going to affect my life dramatically, you know, at least in the field that I chose and what I was doing. I mean, it could help. It could, but I always felt like I couldn't learn things fast enough in college as I can reading books, talking to people and I'm an experiential learner. So like doing it and being in part of a business and and very fortunate to have like the mentors that I have, I just feel like I would, I'm sure I would learn stuff. I'm not taking that away. I just don't know if I would learn enough to spend that amount of money. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, my wife and I, um, you know, Sam, she went to Brian as well. And right. I think we all graduated during a time where it was almost expected, like, hey, if you want to get to that next level, you need right. a master's degree. Right. And I don't know if it was like five years ago or three years ago, there's just has been like an exponential decline in master's attendance because right. I think people started to realize like, all right, where does the sweet spot on this ROI? Like it may elevate my career in the long run, but I'm paying off debt for the next 20 years. And then what? I'm like 45, 50 in that. And now, now I'm like, all right, I just couldn't justify it in my head. Like, well, if I keep learning, and I keep networking and making the right relationships happen. My career should elevate organically anyways. You know, I, I think, so that really resonates with me. 
And the way I, so for those of you who don't know, Teague and I, uh, actually, funny story. Oh, this we, is really funny, actually. We, we grew up <laughs> playing lacrosse together. Probably through about like, what, eighth grade on a select team? No, I didn't pick up lacrosse till high school. No, you were a mass elite. When was that? That was high school? Yeah, it had yeah. to be. Okay, so you're probably baseball. right. You're, yeah. probably, you're probably right, and I just don't have the right at all. So we played with a select team uh, called Mass Elite, and that was kind of how I ended up going to play college lacrosse. I'm sure it had an impact on where you ended up going to play lacrosse. Teague and I don't see each other, and then we run into each other. It had to be six to eight years later playing pickup lacrosse in Southie. Do you, do you remember the full the full game story too? Our game went into overtime, and uh, I think uh, I sto- I was stoning Norma constantly on the doorstep, and you scored the overtime game winner. I still remember where it went. You dodged, you split dodge, shot it with your right hand, bounced top corner off stick side high, and it just fell right down. And I was like, damn, that kid is good. <laughs> We had a few going back and forth, and then we were shaking hands in lines. I was like, Dago? Yeah, that was so funny. I was like, oh, my God, Teague, I haven't seen you in, like, it felt like 10 years. It was probably five, but. Yeah, so it funny. was, I think. So Yeah, funny. yeah, and then uh, you invited me up to for the lacrosse tournament that weekend. I went. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then we've been hanging out ever since. It's uh, So the the advice out of that is don't, never stop networking. Never stop networking. But. But the real, the reason I brought up the lacrosse thing was when I think about my MBA or, or when I think about going back for any kind of class now, cause it sounds like I'm anti-education when I speak about the MBA, but I'm the first guy. I've gone to so many three day sales workshops, seminars. I've participated in round tables that have been like 18 months to, to 36 months. So I'm all about continuous learning, but I feel like when I would go to the end, when I think about, um, a master's now, I think about it as like, Look, I could watch a lot of lacrosse film and I could be taught a lot of lacrosse concepts. But for me, I only need that like eight to 10 percent of the time. I need to spend the other 90 percent of the time experiencing it. Kind of back to your quote of like, well, I forget the exact part of the quote, but it was like when there's effort. What, what was it? Because there's no effort without error or shortcoming. It's like I, I need to I need to fail to figure it out. So I and I. That was kind of the reason why, for me, I've stayed the path I've been on. It's funny you say that, Mark. Um, I, if I had to give advice to my younger self, I would yeah. literally, I would tell myself to fail and fail again. Keep failing. Just as long as you learn something from it, you really aren't failing. And I think there's such a huge stigma in society. It's like if you fail, you're a failure. Yes. And it's that's not true. People fail all the time. Elon Musk fails <laughs> all the time, you know. Right. And he look at look at him being revered in the media today. I'm It is it is it is wild though. It is it is wild because it's really difficult. It's easier it's easier to say it when you've got a little bit of uh, wind uh, behind your sails, right? You're making some money. You're starting to give yourself a little space. It's, it can also be harder, but when you're that when you're that 22 year old 23 year old kid and you got to get a job you don't you don't get it. No, I, I I so one thing that I do like about a company that I worked for it was they were an Israeli based company and everyone in Israel when you graduate uh, your high school or the equivalent 
you either go into the military or you go into um, a lot of people don't know there's an alternative option. You can go into like something that benefits the community. It's like Whether a Peace Corps style program, right? Yeah, you could work in an orphanage. There's all sorts yeah. of stuff. But after that, after that, then you're eligible to go to college. Oh. So you have all of this real world experience. Um, not real world experience, but I mean, like some serious shit. Yeah. You're living over there. I mean, I don't, have you ever been over there? I've never been to Israel. All right. So imagine a bunch of Gail Gadets. Andrea was on because Andrea, the person who produces the podcast, has been many times. Oh, well, I mean, just imagine like drinking some beers at a bar and a bunch of Wonder Woman lookalikes sit down with M16 strapped to their shoulders. Right. Because they they have to be ready to go at any sign. And I had a um, kind of a, a colleague who was like my equivalent over in Tel Aviv. And he was a few years older than me, but it's just it seemed like they had those extra years to really mature before they had to make a decision on where they wanted to go with their career. And I think from a society, like why are we forcing 18 year olds to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life? It seems really odd, doesn't it? Especially, especially male 18 year olds, right? We know we develop later as males, like, and we're pretty much idiots. Like we could use, we could use the grace period of it. I, I, it's funny. I've heard about the, um, I've listened to other podcasts where they've floated out the year of military or community service. And, and also not only does it do wonders for, um, people's, I don't want to say loyalty to the community, but passion and, 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 uh, and Connection. feelings of togetherness. Yeah. Feeling yeah. like we're all in it together. There's a, there's a unity there, but I never thought about it in terms of it also delays the need to make a decision and a commitment like that's a huge point that's a really good point especially if you're trying to figure out what you're doing like for me that was australia i got 18 months you know like that invaluable and and um we actually greg was on the podcast recently too greg lazarus we talked about we got to do a podcast just talking about how australia affected decision making because it was crazy yeah, I think um, I didn't have that Australia experience. I can't say that going to Europe was really that experience for me. I think it really came about by being placed in different scenarios after the public accounting, where I talked about Rome Data. They were purchased by a billion-dollar um, point-of-sale company. Rome Data was the first company that created us a mobile swiper, a credit card swiper. I remember that. I remember that. Pretty obsolete now. Um, not obsolete, but I mean, Square came along. Ingenico bought Rome Data. Ingenico is the worldwide leader in any credit card terminal system throughout the world. Ever since you worked there, I cannot go to a mobile. Ingenico <laughs> card swiper. I'm like, ah, yeah. it's here again. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. And, and um, through that transition, it was literally like it was an accused me the people who hired me they all got canned and i had to take over some of their responsibilities and yeah. throughout the year it was really interesting because you did get a lot of control a lot of exposure to different things which i found really interesting especially on the operational side of things but eventually it became so corporate and we're talking about a very different culture french culture not knocking it or anything but it's it's not american 
culture. I, I love being American. And eventually I had to leave there because once again, I found out, I found myself in a position that I didn't want to be. I knew so, I didn't want to do this anymore. So can you talk about though, real quick, I thought you made a really interesting point that I think is interesting that I haven't really explored on this before. And, and, uh, is when people got let go and you had to absorb some of their job function and it was an opportunity for you to gain more. Yep. Right. Um, did you go through feelings of doubt? Like if they all left or if they got fired, why should I be the one staying here to do this? And and were there people around you that were like, why are you doing that kind of man? Because uh, I've personally been through times at Davis where we've had turnover due to poor decision making, business conditions. And at times I've asked myself, like, why am I doing this? And I've had good mentors between my parents and then uh, actually Bob Davis, our CEO, that's like you're looking at it like, you know, you're living in the present, which I need you to do. But you got to take a macro viewpoint on it because those oper- those things, I guess where I'm going with this is at the time the world was crumbling. My world was crumbling because I was taking all this shit on. Yeah. When you look back on it, oh, lucky, man, I'm so lucky that I got to be the guy that that outlasted like your fucking quote again. Right. The people that outlast the rest. It's like. That's been the reason that there's been some success. Yeah, it is really – it's a good point, man, because I think you look at it and at first you may be very overwhelmed. And I think this is when I be like started maybe indirectly thinking long-term strategically. And I think that's uh, – maybe that's indicative of, of – boys growing up and becoming men in general, but I did, I was not thinking long-term strategically too far really? for myself when I was in my early twenties. I was just like, Hey, I'm in a, I'm at Deloitte. I'm at a big public company. I'm going to be great. Uh, public accounting firm. I'm going to be solid. I'm going to be great. I don't have anything to worry about, but that's just such a narrow vision. And I think once you take over all these people's responsibilities, I, my next thought was, okay, so when am I going to get canned? When are they going to just absorb the entire business unit? Because if I put myself in the COO of Ingenico shoes, I don't want to carry all this extra OPEX. If I bought these guys, I just want to absorb their technology. I'm not buying them because of this office they have in Fort Point. I don't give a shit. We have an office in Paris with a view of the Eiffel Tower. Like We like their technology. (laughs) That's it. And like you kind of have to take a, a step back and think about it without any emotion whatsoever. And I think almost – I think there should be a lot of classes in college, um, especially on the business side, that we didn't have when we were there, Mark. And one of them has to deal with taking – stripping emotion out of a scenario and out of a decision. Mm. Because when it comes to business, no one gives a shit how you feel, how it feels yeah. in your heart. Nothing. No. no. That's for Hallmark movies, man. Right. People are there to make money, and especially a publicly traded company, they're there to give investors a healthy bottom line. And it's sad to say, but in a lot of those situations in those bigger companies, everyone's just a cog. Yes. You're a number. Yeah. You're, they don't care who you really are, you know? They want it is you. a real benefit of working at a smaller company is it's uh, everything you said is still true. But the if it, it on the spectrum, people tend to give you a little bit more. People do care a little bit more in terms of the holistic thing, because 
because I don't know if it's less mouth to feed or the fact that the, it's not um, publicly traded, but uh, is it, do you think that's why you've gravitated towards smaller companies? A hundred percent. I'm I'm super family. You know this. I'm super family oriented. I yeah. love. Um, I value uh, relationships. Yes. I think that's like got to be in my top three, especially in like a business setting. I want to be around people who value my input. Well, sun's coming out here. Look at that. Look yeah. At that. First time we've seen the sun in Boston since like January. <laughs> um, I value people's relationships and I don't want, I want people to be open, direct and truthful with me. I think uh, being in a larger company, people can scoot around that very easily. Yeah. There's a lot of um, accountability in a smaller company. And I like I want to Joe Smo down the hall, you know, he showed up to work two days a week. Like, I want his ass fired. Right. You know, I want him to be held accountable as well. Right. You can hide in a bigger company. You can coast a lot easier at a bigger that's company. A, that's a better way to say it. I think people that really want to achieve success, whatever that success may be, and the success for some people listening right now may be to be a CEO of a publicly traded company. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just no. that's not everyone's hopes and dreams. Just ah. like yeah, you know, uh, a lot of people don't want to be a partner at a publicly uh, public accounting. And I think that's good that everyone has different goals that right. they measure their success by. Otherwise, we'd all be hopping in the car going to the exact same place every single day to do the same thing, and the competition would be off the charts. It's true. It's the beauty. It's actually the beauty. It, yeah, I mean, not to get too philosophical on you, but I think uh, we need people to be all into, into different things. And I think, I mean, the challenge of having someone like you on this podcast, Teague, is I feel like I literally could – talk to you for about 12 hours and uh <laughs> i don't think our viewership would listen that long so i'm trying to keep them under an, under an hour but like the, but i but what i love about your point is and i've been thinking i've been uh dwelling on this concept a lot during the pandemic is uh just how important people are right like i think at times we put these devices and all the technology sometimes we make it paramount but uh it's funny how none of it works and none of it's fun without people. And and I think like I kind of hope this is a silver lining that comes out of this thing is that we kind of remember how important every from the people that deliver our Amazon packages to the CEOs running the companies that get us the, the stuff we need. We all serve a purpose. So that's the kind of I'm, I'm I love your point that way. Uh, let's talk about what uh, let's talk about the workplace. What do you think it's going to be like going back? Oh, um, it's funny. Two weeks ago, I would have been like, let's go virtual all the time. Like, I don't need real estate. Let's go virtual. I think. Wow, really? I mean, not all the time. I'm a person. I'm a people person, so I'd rather I'd rather be doing face to face meetings. And I'm spoiled on the sales side. I've always been able to get out and see clients. But I think there was this honeymoon period we went through where after a week or two went by and people got their setups at their home office and found a way of life that could work. And I think there was some good periods there. 
Now, though, especially the business we're in that's so reliant on how that conversation go and taking advantage of it, I, I think, I think, I think things are going to go back to fairly normal. I hope, I hope, if anything, people take a few more work from home days. I hope people maybe work in the 12 hour days becomes less of the norm. But I don't know. You're in the business of it all. What do you think about it? Hold on. I'm switching my seat around. Can you see me better over here? Yeah. Yeah, you're good. I mean, it's a podcast. No one can see you anyway. Oh, I don't know. I figured you missed my face. I, I so I guess in summary, I was trying to say I think in, I think initially I thought there'd be a lot more people that'd be like let's work from home all the time, and now I'm starting to think um, now I'm starting to think that uh, we'll we'll go back to life as normal. Although I know personally myself, I'm gonna try to work a day a day a week from home just because I'm enjoying breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my children. Avoiding the commuting time and uh, being more a part of the day-to-day life with them. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It, there did seem to be like a sort of honeymoon period where we're like, "Oh, this isn't that bad. This is kind of fun. We're home. We have to be home. Everyone else is home, so we're not feeling guilty that we're working from home." And you got colleagues in the office. I'll tell you what, man. This week I hit a wall mentally, where I was just like, "I need social interaction." Whether yes. it's the, a Zoom call like this. I mean, I love my wife. We just had a brand new baby on 318. But yes, like, congratulations. It, there's silver linings there where I'm able to help out a ton. Didn't have any paternity leave at my job, so that's huge. Yeah. But I think we all um, inherently, we want to be around other people. Uh, not just our friends, uh, but really like when you're in a business setting and you – appreciate what other people have to say and their viewpoints on things. It's the easiest way to convey those is not through email or a text message or even a phone call. It's really to see the reactions on people's face, their body language, all of that. And I think a lot of business gets done. A lot of major business gets done face to face. It's not over the phone or via email. I don't know anyone that's Signed a seven-figure or even a six-figure deal without meeting someone who they're who they're going to be buying it from. You know what I mean? Never mind that. What about the people that are are trying to cut their teeth, right? And the, we talked about learning and mentorship and tutelage. That doesn't happen if you're at your. I mean, it does happen, but it happens much slower when you're working by yourself at your home or you're working in an office with a door shut. Like we have at our office, we have six packs of probably. Six foot by six foot cubes. They're not huge, but they're not small. And there's there's like medium style. Like if you're sitting, you can't see over it. But if you just quickly peek your head up, you can see over it. So it's perfect for collaboration. I mean, it's the perfect place to learn a business because you can get into your concentration mode. But if you have a quick question, it's right there. And it's like I just I can't see I can't see us leaving uh, something like that. For the, you know, for the foreseeable future. Look, if you, if you're, if you're up and running, this is not the conversation for a 40 year old veteran. I mean, excuse oh. me, a 40 year old vet of an industry. They can do their job in their home office all day long. But it's like yeah. the people that are still growing in their careers, you need other people or you're going to be stagnant. Yeah. And think about it. I was talking about this with actually our, uh, we just completed our audit at uh, Office Resources, and I was talking to the, the guy running. I'm like, 
what are all the associates doing? Those kids that are one or two years out of college, like I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I had to work from home every single day. Those were the, when I ran out of work, I was walking around to partners offices being like, Hey, any projects you can help me out on? What are you doing now? You're just shooting emails to partners. I, it, it really is stunting the development of, I think the more adolescent workforce. I agree with you. Yeah. I think- but going back, uh, going back to what you were saying about the, your office setup, I have I have three three points that I think are forever going to change in okay. our office environment. What? One, we are there will never be a full office ever again. That's fair. We already accomplished that at Davis, but that's fair. Where you're going to start to see phasing where, you know, you got a team of six and you guys are all kind of in the same the same section of the office and you're all kind of doing the similar duties to accomplish the same uh, function, I guess. You're going to – two of you are going to come in two days a week, then the next two come in the next two. Yeah. It's going to work like that. Um, yeah. Working from home is going to be uh, a normal stay. It's going to be – it's not It's not going anywhere. Um, and with that, like – no way are you going to be – how would you say this the right way on your podcast, man? I mean, um, say if you didn't show up to work and you're like, ah, I've got a scratchy throat. I, I think I may be coming down with something. Six months ago, if someone that worked for you said that, I'd be like, come on, man. Like, we all know. Just come on in. Like, tough, rough it out, right? Never will that happen. No, no. It's funny. It's funny since I mentioned those desks we have kind of close to each other. We've always been a little germophobic at our office. That's like, dude, just stay home. Like we made an investment in the technology. It's like you have a lot, like stay home. Like what you're doing more damage coming in. I'm with you on that. I'm that's, those are three. No, I only gave you two. The third point is going back to your office furniture. Wait, you gave me three. I thought you said, you said we're going to phase our workforce. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you said, yeah. And then you just said, we're going to. Yeah. I'm sorry. So you remember the days. Um, no, Greg you did, say, you did say three. No one's going to cough and come in. Uh, we're going to phase our workforce and working from home will be more prevalent. That's three. But one right. two are combined. I'll give you that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, speaking of Greg Glass, Greg Glass said this. Jeez, I don't know. Way long ago. When uh, he was he was like the pioneer of the startup, all the startup shit, right? And he was like, don't ever work at a company that has cubicles because that means they're not forward thinking. That means you're just going to be a cog and it's not a cool company to work for, right? Yeah. Um, cubicles may be coming back, man. We have cubicles. I mean, they're not like the gigantic ones, but I – Right. You said, the, you said the height goes here? Yeah. So now what what we at Office Resources perceive to be the wave of the future is, okay, what is the number one customer need that everyone wants? Glass in between well, their offices. No, it's to make their employees feel safe so that right. they'll actually come into the office, right? Right. And through all the data, all the surveys we've done with uh, you know the plethora of our customers, that is overwhelmingly the number one thing that people want. Mm. Now, okay. So what we're able to do is we're able to retrofit a lot of even the open benching areas 
and what you guys have, maybe you call them like the semi-cubicles, yeah. with these plexiglass extenders that will go up another 16 inches, you know? Yeah. And I think you've actually seen it. Uh, if you've gone, we have. We if have. you go to like Whole Foods or Home Depot, I've seen them there. It's like these shields that go across. So if someone's coughing or sneezing next to you, I mean, you have the peace of mind to think like, okay, well, it's definitely not getting to me that quick. What we're also seeing too is people figuring out how to how to uh, outfit their facilities with air cleaning systems that will hook into their HVAC that will just eliminate germs and bacteria in the air instantly. Um, and these are things that companies are going to be willing to spend hundreds, if not millions of dollars to outfit yeah. some of their offices with just to give employees the peace of mind. Do you think it's a phase, though? Do you think, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, three years goes by without another yeah. pandemic, and we're right back to normal. Because because the only thing I would say to that is, aren't our immune systems strengthened by the fact, like, by the fact that, like, my children, right, are crawling on the ground getting licked by a dog in the face who, you know, was just outside eating, you know, whatever. Like, we're... On the everyone staying at home is just weakening people's immune systems. It's a really good, and I think what the the best example really is that we have a newborn and we have a dog in the house too. I don't know if you saw him on the podcast. Yeah, I don't know this tale, but it's a it's a fact that newborns and infants that have dogs around them have a much healthier immune system. Why is that? It's because they're exposed, they're exposed to so many crap. more, so much more bacteria whatever, they're able to develop more antibodies than if they were not ever exposed to certain things that could harm them. Right. Okay. So building on your point, if we all just stay in our little bubbles and then all of a sudden you go out into the city or you go into a bar, oh. your tears in, your high five and whatever, you just expose yourself to an exponential amount of potentially harmful bacteria that could end up hurting you. So I think what we're doing now is it has to be temporary. Yeah. Um, I think that in terms of office space, if you ask me to put a, a like a timestamp on how long it will be like this before we go into the open benching, because I like the open benching. I think um, yeah. the cubicle life makes me sad. It makes me think of that movie Office Space. The only thing, so we had open desking. And, yeah. people, and people went back and requested higher cubed walls. Oh, because of the noise? Because of the noise. And we're in a, a heavy phone call environment. And um, what we did was, what's up, Sam? How are you? Good, how are you? Hey, Logan. Just want to show off my cute baby boy. Oh, so, absolutely so cute. We've got a cameo from T and Sam's beautiful <laughs> baby boy. What, March 18th? March 18th. Phenomenal. He's uh, entering six weeks. He's starting to like see us and stuff. It's great. Oh. Uh, but going back when to six months, when he's six months old, you'll feel like a dad. That was, it took me so long. Okay, going back to your question though, uh, how long do I think this will take? Uh, a big variable is a vaccine. If we get a vaccine on the table and it actually works, there's a lot of scary components about a new vaccine being rushed through the FDA that I don't really right. like. Um, I think the statistics about the first wave, about the participants in a first wave of a vaccine are more people die from the vaccine itself. Than yes. It's not a good, 
not a good place to be. Very fortunate time to be a healthy 35-year-old. Yeah, just say, like, hypothetically, we develop a vaccine that works, and it's healthy, it's safe. None of this stuff's going to be needed. No, but but I also feel I also feel like if I had to give you the macro, we'll be back in offices. Office space may end up being smaller than it used to be because to your point of more of a um, you've got more of a transient workforce that's not there every day, and there's maybe more desking, but you're still gonna have offices. What do you think? Are you are these people sharing workspaces though? I think think post-pandemic, no. I don't think people are going to be down to do so. But it already is happening currently now, right? Because you remember, like Davis, we've got tons of essential manufacturing clients open, running three shifts. People are working at the exact same benchtop, assembling ventilators every single day. You're wiping that thing down, and you're working at the same place that John Smith was working 12 hours earlier um, on a different shift. So I think... You know, I just went to the hardware store at lunch to buy some paint to do my deck. It's like people find a way, right? You wear a mask in the place and you make it work. And and, you, and I, I, it will be, it will be weird, but I don't think this is, um, I don't think from an office perspective, I think industries that will get hurt office furniture wise, doctor's offices, right? This telehealth revolution that we're going through, I'd much rather do some of these quick physical, quick check-ins. It's more cost-effective telehealth-wise. No one likes going to the doctor, but but like business, business to business type work. I, I you know I know in our business we're open. We we had to you know we didn't tell people that they couldn't come in the office in the beginning. We were like we strongly advise you to work from home, and people did. We still have people right now that go into the office. Yeah, we got a few, we got a few, uh, I call, them, I call them old schoolers. Mavericks, right? Like, Mavericks. So, <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, it'll be an interesting place. Tell, T, before we wrap this up, tell people where they can get a hold of you and, and what Office Resources does too, real quick. Give it a plug. Yeah, so Office Resources, I've been there almost three quarters now. Uh, amazing company. Love being there. Great people. What we can do is, and I've been on the other side of this before too, when our lease is up, we need to find new office space. Uh, this is kind of outside of my, <laughs> my normal designation of what, of my duties, right? Yeah. Whether you're in finance, whether you're in HR or operations, this isn't a normal thing you go that you do. At Office Resources, we're the company that's going to hold your hand. And we're going to help you find your space. We're going to help design your space. We're going to help outfit the space. So literally, carte blanche, anything you need, we're there for. All we're going to charge you for is the furniture. Okay, cool. You know, and I think a lot of people are going to come out of, or right now especially, need to reach out um, to outfit their offices with those retrofitting. Yeah. Uh, You can call them placeholders if you want, but no matter what, like you said earlier, labor, your workforce, that's the number one best resource that the company has. So if people aren't going back to work, you are not making money. So it is 100% of value investment, CapEx side, to spend some money to make your office safer for your employees. Uh, ORI.com, you can find me on LinkedIn. We have offices in New York, Boston, New Hampshire, and Maine. And we do work across the country and internationally. Better not. T. Bean, it's been a pleasure. We're done?
I, I literally I could do this forever, but the people in marketing tell me no one listens after an hour. So <laughs> we didn't even talk about uh, plant based versus meat based. Oh, you, I'm telling you, I'm starting to think that the podcast is going to have to have like a uh, a philosophical friend discussion every quarter that we just go off for about three to eight hours on. So you will be on the list, my man. Okay, so uh, I appreciate you having me, and I actually had to buy this thing. Because you didn't I have to buy it, did you? Well, I bought it because I'm starting a podcast with another buddy. Oh, I like it. I like it. Let me know if you need any guests. We're, hey, I'm asking you right now. Do you want to be a guest on, Let me know when. on the Enhanced Podcast? I love it. I love it. Simon, what's your podcast about? It's all about how to enhance your life. Oh, awesome. That's a, uh, well, as you know, that's an area of my life that's near and dear to my heart. So I am, uh, I'm all in. I'm all in on that one. Awesome, man. It was great speaking with you. Tell the fam I said hello. Happy Friday, man. Enjoy the first nice day of spring and what it feels like. And uh, best of luck with the newborn. And can't wait to uh, give you a hug when this is over.